0: Hi, everyone. Andrew here. I've got a very special episode today to share with you. We recently did a crossover show with Shane Isaacowski from the Drawing from Experience podcast, and I got to speak with him and had an amazing time. We've had Shane on the show before. We highly recommend you go and check that one out, but we also say... Go and check out Drawing from Experience. It's a fantastic show. Shane's one of the best people. He's a member of the Dark Art Society. We love his work. We have some of his pieces. We highly recommend you go check out his artwork. He's just the coolest guy. And we had a great time talking. So enjoy this episode, this crossover freaky fandoms Drawing from Experience episode. We hope you enjoy it. And again, go check out Shane's work and listen to Drawing from Experience and have fun. Thank you.
1: How's everybody doing today? Welcome to episode number 101 of the Drawing From Experience podcast. Today, I have a, of course, a very special guest, my old pal, Mr. Andrew Hawkins.
0: Shane, thank you for having me on, man.
1: This is great. Yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your schedule to, to join me. I know that you're production schedule and everything uh for your projects are pretty crazy and we will get into that but you know first uh just so people have an idea of who you are and what you do um and also your podcast freaky fandoms and uh, of course this is another installment of my uh podcast crossover mini series is what i'm calling it officially and um Yeah. So I just, you know, I want people to know um, how to find you guys and everything and what Freaky Fandoms is. And then, um, you know, and a bit about who you are and also your wonderful wife, Deborah too, uh, who's your co-host on Freaky Fandoms. So yeah, let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about you. Yeah, man. So
0: basically what our show is, is a discussion show about different subjects. We get into the esoteric, we get into uh, counterculture and anything that's basically the the odd stuff to talk about around the water cooler. But uh, <laughs> it's all, you know, like we've had you on talking about art and influences and really cool stuff and your background. Uh, and then we've also had Chet Sar on to talk yeah. about his stuff. And his film career and his artwork, we've had so many great people who've joined us, whether it's for discussions about music or books or again, artwork, movies, uh, really anything that's got a kind of following or some kind of either either cult cred or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but really it's just a fun talk about anything that really strikes us. Yeah. So whether it's a show or a movie that's like legendarily hard to find or has a crazy production story behind it. You know, we just dig into it and we always have a good time.
1: I am, I am astounded always by the amount of knowledge in your brain of like cinema history directors. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's like at one time in my life, I thought I knew a lot about films I don't when I talk to you, you're just like spouting out everything and, I, you know, of about scenes and directors and where they're from. And, you know, the first time certain a certain camera angle was shot and like, I mean, it, it's crazy. So. It comes in waves, man. I mean, we can be hanging out at like Monsterpalooza, just having a couple of drinks and
0: going through different stuff of like what I've read over the last week and what I've remembered just from like my favorite movies growing up or anything that I studied in school. It's like all this kind of free thinking, associative, whatever just strikes at the right time. And then we'll just
1: jump into it. Well, you're like you're. You're like the ultimate fanboy that you seem that way. You know, and not yeah. only that, but what what's really and great I've put it into my work, you. so I'm glad it's paying off. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is you've you've now turned just a love for counterculture and um underground films and and horror films and things that I grew up with as well into a job, you know. So that's like, you know, as far as Anybody who is just a fan of things as they grow up, especially films and weird horror and stuff like that, to turn that into your passion and your love and your job is a huge feat. So, like I really, you know, I kind of I want to know more about that. And I think my listeners will appreciate that part of your story as well. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell, give me one story. You have these fucking amazing stories of like going to other countries, doing crazy things with crazy people, super famous people and <laughs> uh, all kinds of things. I mean, tell me one thing. Let's hear it. One thing.
0: Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> uh, going through the, the whole catalog of all this stuff. I mean, immediately thoughts of like uh, oh, I was talking about this earlier um, meeting the band uh, from the film from Dust Till Dawn. The mm. Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez band. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, the, the film that has uh, Tito and Tarantula in it playing the vampire band and the titty twister. Uh, <laughs> that bar on the uh, border that winds up being this huge front for a giant vampire colony. I was in Germany and I was working there. Uh, This was when I was doing film work and entertainment work as a writer, but I was also doing a lot of construction jobs and doing uh, cabling for different like systems for wiring up buildings to get uh, network connectivity and also telephone systems and all that stuff. And that's, that's the Mm. boring side of it. The cool side (laughs) of it was I got to see a ton of great shows. And one of them was going to around Munich the band Tito and Tarantula, (laughs) they were hanging (laughs) out doing a show. And I just, you know, started talking to the guy behind the vendor table and it happened to be the lead singer's nephew. And he was telling me about how they're always in tour uh, in Europe and just doing their thing. And this was around the time that the film Machete came out. Mm, So they had the new single for that, the Danny Trejo film, and they were playing it and it was awesome. And the album that they were promoting... Uh, was great. You know, it was just amazing. This was like 2007, 2008, something like that. So, you know, I said, all right, thanks. Great talking to you. And the family member who was hanging out was like, Hey, uh, if we're ever out here again, just shoot me an email and I'll try to get you a free Mm -hmm. ticket and maybe hang out backstage and whatever. It's been great talking to you. Yeah. So I hit them up and they come back and they're playing at Uh, The Mühle Hunziken in Bayern, Switzerland, which is about 20 minutes drive from the H.R. Giger Museum. Mm. So I make the connection. I say, hey, I'm going to drive to the show. But first, I'm going to be at the H.R. Giger Museum in Greer. So I go to the Giger Museum and I take a bunch of photos and I just have a blast Uh, go to the spell room, go to see all the species stuff. Uh, Of course, Giger's Oscar, Uh, you know, just the entire run, the Necronomicon room, all that stuff. And I grab a bottle of absinthe and I take that and I go and the night seeing them in this unbelievable venue. I mean, this is like a four story venue that has this huge atrium open middle that you can see from like 50 feet up the band Mm -hmm. Nice. I'm walking around and there's so much pop culture stuff everywhere. You've got like pinball machines from the who's Tommy. You've got these standees from like power Rangers. You've got American werewolf in London strapped to a wall. You've got all this stuff everywhere. And it's just crazy. It's like this huge thrift store full of pop culture from like six decades. And yeah. then them playing in the bottom in the middle. <laughs> cool. So we're hanging out, waiting for him to start. They open the show by playing the opening music from A Clockwork Orange. They get on stage. They blast the show and the crowd with an amazing set. And then the night just wound up hanging out with the vampire band from, from Dusk Till Dawn, drinking Absinthe, going and chatting on the bus, and then driving back home to southern Germany just hanging out and happy. After a good day of visiting all of Giger's artwork and then just hanging out at a rock show. And that was just fun. You know, it's just crazy stuff like that. I mean, there's times of like meeting Nick Cave in Belgium. There's times of going out and checking out incredible temples in rural parts of China with like game developer American McGee. There's so many of them. And it actually gets me energized thinking back about all this stuff because I just love it.
1: Well, you know the thing is, if I can gush about you for a second, Andrew, <laughs> I think, you know, this stuff does not happen by accident. All right, you—it's something about your, yeah, like the warmth, and obviously, like you're—you're you're a fan. You're like a true fan. So if I was one of these people who like you approach me. And you're like, I'm a fan, blah, blah, blah. There's just something about you that's like trustworthy. You're not a douchebag. You're not a stalker. Uh, So I feel like this is how you get, you just continually get your foot into these places. And um, and it's just, it's awesome. Like it's, you need to write a book at some point. (laughs) of all these experiences because it's really quite something. And I've heard a lot of these stories and it's, it's awesome. So yeah. yeah man. Anyway. I mean, it's,
0: it's just like, you know, you're, you're totally right about the way that I can see people approaching stuff like this and just yeah. doing stuff. I mean, God, I, I'm even thinking about when we met Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor and the entire group going around um, during the time that they were close to their wave goodbye tour, I think it mm-hmm. was. Uh, and this was, I don't know, maybe on nine before they uh, took a couple of years off and came back. It, it was just like right place, right time stuff, you know? Yeah, And it wasn't, you know, freaking out like some kind of aggressive um, <laughs> fan or anything like that to, to make that happen. It was just like, they're doing something that I can be a part of. And I can help out doing a good thing. What they were doing at the time was they were raising funds for a fan's uh, heart transplant. Mm. And they said, hey, you know, if you want to be a part of this, uh, we can try to get you backstage at a show. And I thought it was a good cause, went for it, uh, did what I could to throw some funds at it and try to help out. And then just, you know, hung out and had a great conversation during a rock festival. I mean, yeah, it's cool awesome. stuff like that. It's just like keeping an ear to the ground and trying to, you know, see what kind of stuff comes up that you want to get involved in. Yeah. But I, I never try to do stuff for like
1: shitty reasons, if that yeah. makes sense, No. you know, totally. cause
0: I, I've got that kind of mentality like selfish and that kind of or-
1: egotistical reasons or anything like that. Yeah. You're you're not that kind of person.
0: Yeah. I've I've never tried to, you know, throw anything at anyone to make myself look better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like to try to not bring anyone down or try to aggressively uh, take somebody out so I can get ahead kind of thing. Totally. And, you know, there are a million things in my life that I wish I could have done, or I wish I could have been a part of uh, that. I'm just like, you know, it wasn't the right time in the right place and it wasn't meant to be, but the stuff that I have been able to do has been, you know, something I look back on as like, I I loved it. I mean, even if it's just walking around a city at five in the morning, uh, Mm -hmm. like, you know, going to Amsterdam for work and then being able to go and just see the incredible buildings and the city and the architecture and just walking down the like water loop line, whole river circle, all interconnected stuff. Just seeing where the path goes and what it leads me to. Yeah, it's stuff like that. You know, it's like just trying to go with the flow and seeing what works and seeing
1: what I can get into and seeing what I can yeah, uh, being, be a part being of. Being present, being yeah, present man. there, and um, yeah, I I think about that all the time, and and it is a struggle. I'll say all the time because there's so much going on at all times and like it's like how do you choose yeah yeah and also like we have so much going on and it's easy to be like disengaged from uh your surroundings because you're just so focused and concentrated on one thing whether that be your art or your job or your family or something like that
0: yeah sometimes
1: you just have to sit and just be like i need to enjoy what the fuck is going on around me right now, you know, and just experience it. And I think about that a lot.
0: Sometimes so hard to pick and choose like what to be present for when there's so much going on. Yeah. Especially when you're active and you're working and you know, you're creating and doing stuff. It's like,
1: How's, how's there enough time in the day? How's there enough
0: hours in the week? How do you make it all work? You know, like
1: you're saying, it's like, you know, you, you can think about these things where you're like, man, I wish I would have done, you know, whatever, but still like when you look at all the other things that you had the opportunity to do, you know, I think about that in my life as well. I'm just like, you know, any day I was just telling you how today for me was a little fucked up. It was a weird day. But then I'm like, you know, no matter how fucked up today is like, I'm so like grateful for the life that I'm leading, you know, and it's there's there's I've so, you know, just like having good friends, having people who I can reach out to and just be like, we're all in this weird journey together in some way. And our our paths intersect and. Um, We can kind of just share space and it's just awesome, you know, so I'm just thankful in general. um, You know, when days are difficult, I just try to like sit and think about the good people in my life and the things that I have kind of like built, you know, and um, and so like I'm guided a lot by my interests as well, which is obviously what has guided you to where you are now. So. This is my segue into talking about your documentaries, dude. Yeah, man. This is crazy. <laughs> this is a crazy thing. So please I mean give me the history and like let let our listeners know like exactly how this all came to be because you know, honestly, like at some point, it was just like you were doing this and I was like, this is a really big deal. Like I was looking at some of the promotion for it and I was like, how did he what is what? You know, so just give me give me like some of the history and how it all went down. And um, just assume that uh, some of our listeners have no idea uh, what we're talking about right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, to to kind of give the uh, general introduction, uh, I guess what's on the byline uh, statement thing. um, I'm a producer for the documentary series In Search of Darkness. And In Search of Darkness is a focus on 80s horror films in a very retrospective and celebratory manner. Basically, what we do with these movies is we bring in the top talent that we can get to discuss the films that they were a part of and the films that they love. And for the first In Search of Darkness, we put together a very mainstream-focused documentary and it's a mega doc. So it's one of those four and a half hour long, really robust documentaries that's filled front to back with discussions and stories and people talking about basically whatever they want to get into. Uh, and the way that we set this up, basically the, the floorwork formatting for these films is we go year by year throughout the entire decade. And we do all of these different segments in between. Sometimes we'll talk about uh, the special effects um, between like 1982 and 83. We'll throw in a segment or a feature on someone specific's work. And we'll just keep that going as we look at some of our featured movies from each year. Mm. And then after doing that first one, we had such a huge response. We had to do another one. So we put out In Search of Darkness, part two, and that was a deeper dive. You know, we started looking at more international films. We started looking at more deep cuts on the video store shelves. And so far with all the response we've gotten since it came out last October, it's been something that people have just loved. And that's the whole thing is that we're here to talk about the movies that we love. And it's specifically focused on this decade, but it's also kind of our jumping off point for more stuff.
1: Yeah. I um so you sent me the the link today, yeah for, yeah I sent you a, a copy four, of In Search of four- Darkness Part a Two four I'm hour figured. documentary that I couldn't <laughs> watch uh, but I'll uh, so I turned it on and I was sucked in in the first three seconds I That's mean it awesome. was I, and you had told me like if you can't watch the whole thing skip around and and watch these parts. I mean, there was no, I had no point of reference, so I couldn't do that, but it didn't matter because I was just like, I was sucked in right from the beginning. So I only got to watch a little bit of the beginning, but I'm going to try to watch it uh, before I record the intro for this episode. So uh, if you listen to my version of this episode, you'll be able to hear what I think about it. I'll let you know too, since you're my friend, but, um, (laughs) I mean, everyone listening in from the freaky
0: fandom side of things, definitely go and check out Shane's episode too. So you can get that insight.
1: Yeah, please do. I, you know what I'm, I'm curious a lot about from like a producer standpoint and how, I mean, you're talking about top talent. You have fucking top talent on this documentary. It is crazy. I don't, I have no idea even how like the logistics you, you're like a very logistics oriented guy. You seem like, and so, um, definitely try to be whenever everything lines up for sure. Yeah. But the thing is, is you line it up. That's what I feel like, you know? And it's just like, how do you, I mean, how do you even approach such a monumental project? Just one of these films is huge. I mean, it's four hours of, A film, anybody who's made a film has some like iota of an idea of how much it takes to do an hour and a half feature film versus four hours of content. I mean, how do you even, you know, how do you begin to put that together? And also just the idea for a four hour mega documentary is, I mean, that's like, you know, talk about uh Uh, being ambitious. I mean, it's, uh, it's huge. And then to do two of them, and potentially, obviously more, uh, I'm sure there's going to be more coming from this as well. So Yeah, yeah, we've already been talking about a three, and we've got a
0: demand to break into other decades, too. So what we're looking at is developing into 90s. And also, while we're doing the third in search of darkness, which is an even more a uh, focused look at stuff that came out direct to video and stuff that's got like underground cult status. So you're going to see some of those movies that have like a huge dedicated fan base. But if you're talking mainstream or stuff that ever showed up on like HBO or mm-hmm. stars or whatever, these are some of the movies that may never have even gotten distribution on cable. or have been seen by most horror fans even, unless they're like treasure hunters or real deep gut guys. But yeah, man, the the way that this stuff uh, sort of originated was really with the team and my executive producer team and my director. And we all kind of fell in together, really, because the first documentary that came out from the company creator VC that I'm with is called in search of last action heroes. And that was kind of initially a focused documentary on action movies and just a a general scope sense. So you've got guys like Paul Verhoeven coming in and talking about what he did between RoboCop and total recall and starship Mm -hmm. troopers and any of his other action output. And then you've got Shane Black talking about a ton of different movies. You've got just a a great cast of talent from the action, uh, you know, an adventure movie genre. Then the pieces started to kind of come together, really showing that documentaries like Never Sleep Again, the Friday the 13th documentary, uh, Crystal Lake Memories, You know, those two separate, talking about Freddy and Jason, they're huge. They're, you know, these gigantic megadocs that go through the entire series of both Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And they were successful. So they had fans just like loving them and saying, these are some of the best massive documentaries I've ever seen. And I want more. So we thought about it and we kind of looked at what. The audience was really feeling, and you know, horror fans are everywhere. They're at conventions, they're online, they're on social media. They're always talking about their favorite films, and if we can bring all that together, we can do something with. And that was kind of the genesis for the first In Search of Darkness. Was let's look at a single decade. What decade is discussed the most? What decade is always talked about as being the greatest decade for horror movies and really eighties was just like, yeah, you know, that, that was the time when special effects were at their wildest. That was when the money was there to be able to make movies worldwide that were incredible and look good and shot on film and wound up being iconic, you know, because of the, the budding culture of home video The VHS covers that were just gripping everyone who walked into the video store, the franchise boom, the slasher boom. There's so many factors. Mm. So we really covered that in the first documentary. We just kind of did, you know, an overall let's touch on the main points of the whole decade of the genre. And then with the second one, we were like kind of reading the room and really hearing about the movies that we didn't cover that we should have. Mm. So, we included uh, a more focused discussion on something like Bill Lustig's Maniac Cop starring Robert Zadar and uh, Bruce Campbell and Tom Adkins and, uh, you know, that's one of the featured ones. We also heard a lot about uh, Demoni, Demons, the Lamberto mm. Bava film with Giretta uh, Giretta and some of the craziest effects uh, from, you know, the 80s entirely. Uh, and also uh Dario Argento's involvement. I mean, we were we were just getting all this feedback. So, we just went with it. And now we have two documentaries and you put them together and it's 9 hours back to back. And
1: we've still got people saying they want more. Wow. It's nuts. That's <laughs> insane. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, that gives you it's like endless You know, and, um, you know, I grew up on, on a lot of those films. And, uh, as you know, that I grew up on, on horror and, you know, the thing is, is through the years, my tastes have changed so drastically with horror, you know, of course, like I have a love for all the special effects and makeup from that era and everything and, um, knowing people like Chet and, you know, so I have, I have this deep appreciation for, uh, practical effects and everything. Yeah. And you're
0: an effects and makeup creator too. I mean, you know, your
1: background is awesome, which is why,
0: you know, I can't wait to have you on one of the watch parties or clip show that we do where we can sit down and just chat about about the making of a movie, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How, um, how does that all work? You know? Okay. So you have a whole campaign going on right now, uh, to get people to purchase this documentary, but you're also offering a community. You know, so why don't you? Yeah, let's let's hear about that whole process and everything and some of these watch parties that you're hosting and things like that.
0: Yeah. So the way that we've got a community and weekly events working is crazy. And I love how this has developed out of the initial ideas that we started doing last year. Uh, Like I was talking about, we've got In Search of Darkness for horror and we've got In Search of Tomorrow for sci fi. And Search of Tomorrow is in production right now. So every day we're working. I'm excited about on that, Getting too. that made. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great because we've got these unbelievable interviews that have already been captured and recorded that we're putting into the edit while we're in production. But we also have interviews that are still going on right now. Just like, uh, this is awesome. We, we had <laughs> Sarah Douglas from Superman and Superman 2. And from Conan the Barbarian to uh, Conan the Destroyer, and from Solar Babies and you know Beastmaster too. I mean, so many movies that I grew up loving. Mm-hmm. And the interview with her was fantastic. We did that just last weekend. Uh, we also interviewed Lance Guest from The Last Starfighter, and this upcoming weekend we're interviewing Catherine Mary Stewart, who was also in The Last Starfighter with Lance. And she was also in uh, a ridiculous adaptation of George R. R. Martin's story, Night Flyers, <laughs> but also Chopping Mall with Kelly Maroney. Uh, and talking about you know that connection, kind of leading into talking uh, what we do for the watch parties and for these clip show live streams every Sunday. Basically, I'll give you an example. We had Kelly Maroney on to talk about Chopping Mall. And what we did was we started it on Sunday, at about 1230 Pacific time, just with a Q&A. And the way that our community works, when you get a copy of the documentary, you get access to our Discord. And it's basically just a forum chat uh, discussion that's always ongoing about any 80s horror, or any topic you really wanna get into. But that's the whole focus and kind of what brings us all together. And the way that that integrates into our live streams and our watch parties is everyone gets together on sunday afternoon and we just go through all of the questions that come from the discord mm. and talk to the celebrity guest star about all that stuff
1: nice. and
0: then after a half an hour of that everyone presses play on their copy of the movie and we just all watch it together huh. and yeah we'll talk about you know whatever anyone in the chat wants to talk about We'll talk about whatever the guest star wants to talk about and the entire time we'll just be discussing trivia and insight and thoughts and reactions to the film. So after the movie, you know, we all hang out and say, all right, see you again in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, And the way that that works is one week we'll do horror. The next week we'll do sci-fi the next week we'll go back to horror and it just always alternates. Yeah. So when you're a part of either of those communities, you're getting something every other week. And if you're a part of both every single Sunday, you've got something to hang out with.
1: That's amazing, dude. Has this all come up during uh, the quarantine times? Is this something as a result of that? Or was this uh, previously decided? And then now it's kind of convenient that you have a place to hang out and everybody's at home. It's crazy, man. Like we were talking about this probably, Two or three
0: months before the lockdowns across mm. the country and across the world went into effect, I mean, this was like, what can we do for the community of fans that have bought the documentary and want to be a part of the bigger discussion? And we had talked about doing stuff at conventions. We had talked about uh, booths at stuff like Monster Palooza and you know Texas Frightmare or. Uh, Days of the Dead uh, or, you know, New Jersey, East Coast, any of that stuff. We were like, what can we do? Because we got people saying that they want to check out In Search of Darkness panels. They want to go to screenings. Uh, We had an amazing premiere two years ago at the Egyptian. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was fantastic during Beyond Fest. Um, Right before In Search of Darkness 1 premiered, there was this... Really cool marathon of Tom Atkins movies, uh, <laughs> which was like The Fog, Night of the Creeps, and uh, Halloween 3. And nice. then we had our premiere, and we had Barbara Crampton on stage. We had Kelly Maroney on stage. We had Mick Garris. Uh, we had Brian Usna, and we had Caroline Williams from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And people wanted more of that. They were like, hey, I wasn't able to make it to the premiere, but I want to you know, go to something and see an In Search of Darkness thing. And then it all just hit all at once Mm. while we were trying to figure out how we were going to do that for everyone. And I remember I was coming back from a trip to Dresden where I was going to an art exhibition of the filmmaker Jan Svankweir. And I got home and it was like the beginning of everything. When everyone was really starting to get sick, Mm. when you would start to see like the first few people reacting and like wiping down their airplane chairs with, uh, alcohol wipes and like starting to, you know, really react to, to what was going on with the pandemic. So we figured, okay, everything's shutting down. Everything's being canceled. What can we do? How can we bring everyone together and have, you know, some kind of, uh, event schedule? Let's test out the possibility of a podcast. Let's test out, uh, possibly doing some kind of live stream thing. And we just thought, all right, let's let's see if this works with watch parties. And one of the very first ones we did uh, with a special guest uh, after we did a couple of trial runs with, I think, the Terminator and Aliens, we actually brought Chet on to mm. do a watch party of the blob. Oh, and nice. he got to hang out and he got to talk about the blob to our sci-fi audience as like a sci-fi horror crossover. Oh, that's great. And it was like the third in a row of like the ultimate 80s sci-fi remakes. We did the thing, we did the fly, and then we did the blob. Nice. And Chet came on, and he was just telling us all the stories of being part of the production and how it was all put together and his work on the film. And it was just a blast. And then we were like, okay, we are putting these out as audio recordings. Anyone in the community can listen to these and play the film. Like, you know, the Mm. way that uh, a podcast that's a film commentary recording can work. You just put your headphones in, press play, and then watch the film at the same time. Mm. But we thought we might want to take this a step further and actually do a live on camera show every week. And that's what we've been doing now. So now we'll have live on camera watch parties where people can multi-screen and have us on one screen, whatever, you know, phone or iPad or anything on the side and then have the movie playing on the main TV or however they want to set it up. But then we've also got a thing called clip show where we'll invite a celebrity guest on or anyone who's a part of the community that really wants to, you know, be featured on one of these and they'll pick five or 10 things that they want to talk about. And we'll just show the clips and then we'll discuss about, you know, what their thinking was behind picking it or why they're such a fan of it or what they're into about it and what their memories of it are, if they worked on it or what their favorite moments were. And actually we yeah. did another one of those with Chet where he came on and talked about some dark man stuff, nightbreed stuff, uh, doing stuff on hocus pocus, uh, nice. some of his like showreel stuff where he shows up in movies, like, uh, yeah, that was sundown. Just recently, right? yeah, that was the other week. Yeah, so you can watch cool. that on YouTube. I mean, that's uh, the thing that's awesome. too, is like, we've made those all available for anyone to watch if they just want to jump on a channel and check them out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great, dude. And, um, you know, it's, it's just nice to hear, um, about the growth and, you know, and obviously like being a part of a community, but then also being a part of growing that community even larger, you know, obviously there is a community of people who have grown up on these films and, um, it's been like such an important part of our childhood. And now to like also be a part of like that history of continuing uh, this love, you know? And um, I know some people who are kind of like in that community. I I have a good friend who is um, a huge VHS collector, um, hardcore. I mean, he is like, uh, and he's on the East Coast. His name is Earl Kess. I don't know if you've ever come across him at all, but, I feel like you guys should meet, but <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, if um, he's
0: out there and he's, you know, showing off the collection and oh, he, doing yeah. stuff, I'd love I mean, to see has, what he's
1: got. If it's like the wall, to wall, you know, Oh yeah. Thing. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely that's awesome. Fucking ridiculous. And I mean, he has like a coffin shaped, uh, shelf, uh, specifically designed for VHSs, and has all sorts of crazy shit. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's really great. Um, To, you know, obviously make this documentary and then and then also create this entire community around it. I just think that's I mean, that's like sort of what I'm trying to do with the podcast and um, I'm trying to help artists uh, continually have encouragement and, and build yeah, like dude. this community of support, you know? So what you've been doing with drawing from experience
0: is just awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And,
1: and I love seeing, you know, so many people in the art community
0: coming together too, because right now it really is tough for everyone yeah. to connect when we can't go out and do stuff together. Yeah. You no, know? that's, for that's sure. not easy.
1: Uh, and yeah. hopefully we can get back to having fun again soon. Oh God. I hope so. But in the meantime, we could do watch parties and and uh, and shit. So, <laughs> yeah, and hang <laughs> but, out with the uh, yeah dark art society community and the yeah. uh, art chats on Fridays, dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm curious. Maybe this is like, well, no, I mean, I, I think I'm curious about how you feel about the horror genre in the past 20 years. Um, and how it's, you know, I think it about it
0: and it's kids. not as good as it used to be? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about kids now,
1: you know, yeah. and it's like, you know, we grew up at a time where I was riding my bike to the video store and I would be there for like an hour or two, like reading the backs of these VHSs. Um, and there's just something fucking special about that, you know, and, uh, and I hate to sound like such an old head, by saying, in my day, I used to uh, ride my bicycle down to the VHS store, you know. But when I, I was mean, a young elitist <laughs> yeah. and things were right with the world, yeah, yeah. But no, you know, I, totally I am curious. You I, you know, I, I'll just say, I'll, I'll say that I, uh, there, there's a lot of disappointing things about the horror genre in the past twenty years. However, there have been some nuggets of um goodness that i've seen and um and it's few and far between uh and it doesn't some of it just doesn't have that same like magical terribleness of some of those films from back then you know so like what you know yeah what do you what do you think about it and and um where do you see it heading in the next say decade yeah
0: oh man that's tough um The thing is, is that, you know, my my work is very focused on a specific era and we really do kind of approach this from like a historian sort of perspective Uh, because, you know, me and my team, uh, my director, David Weiner, you know, he's a former uh, writer for so many, so many great uh, magazines and outlets. I mean, even for a period there, he was with Famous Monsters. So he's like, you know, cut his teeth for decades doing this work. And he came from, you know, the sidelines of being on set for movies with Full Moon. Uh, You know, Charles Band and Empire Pictures and all those guys. uh, He still tells stories about working on like demonic toys and stuff like that. And, you know, he had a great run uh, when he was doing filmmaking in the late 80s and early 90s so from his background he's you know the perfect guy to helm the direction of these documentaries and for me i mean just years of writing articles and doing interviews and doing editorials and you know cutting my teeth and entertainment journalism and covering different aspects of pop culture but also doing like list articles focusing on different periods and different directors and you know even that background of having a little bit of film school it's it's like I want to hope for the best when it comes to the state of the genre right now but I look at the overall big picture and it's difficult because there's stuff that doesn't hit right and isn't good Mm. that's kind of rising to the surface for what's marketable, if that Mm. makes sense. And really, you know, I've heard this so many times doing this work from so many people that we've gotten in front of the camera who have talked about doing this stuff 30 and 40 years ago. Yeah, Horror is a business, flat out. Horror is business. It's show business. And I hear that over and over all the time. And horror Saves careers and it saves studios and it saves the industry in certain periods and certain times. And I am really a big fan of that kind of tactile filmmaking method of everything being in camera and having to actually, you know, put the blood, sweat, and tears into every aspect of filmmaking. Yeah. You know, I, I don't look at it necessarily as kind of like a nostalgia thing or like, uh, oh, things were so much better back then kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the end product. It's the result, you know, like I'll look at a film that's shot in, you know, 4k or something higher resolution on the best Sony or Ari or, you know, whatever. And I'll say, you know, sometimes it looks excellent. Sometimes you can't even tell the difference. Sometimes, you know, it's fantastic. But then I look back at certain films that are shot on different kinds of stocks and have different kinds of, you know, resulting grain in the picture and different techniques uh, for lighting and for effects and for makeup. And I really do love a large number of movies from that era. Mm-hmm. And even when it comes to the more low budget ones, there's something about seeing a shitty movie shot incredibly well yeah. that I love. Yeah. Uh, you know, even <laughs> if it's like the most threadbare, awful ripoff script that's trying to like be a knockoff Evil Dead or a knockoff Escape from New York. Yeah. I mean, or a knockoff Mad Max. I mm. love that stuff. Yeah. Especially when it's coming from like insanely seasoned professionals. Yeah. Like, you know, so many movies in 80s horror in Italy were from guys who had worked with the likes of like Sergio Leone mm-hmm. and done so many incredible action films and comedies and westerns. And, you know, right now you got an era of filmmaking. That I hate to say, it seems to really be focused on let's shoot something on the cheap, get it out there, and just recycle the stuff that's the most popular right now. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that's always been a part of the film industry and of entertainment. But the stuff that's getting regurgitated right now doesn't hit me as well as stuff that was popular in that era in the eighties, you know, even the knockoff slashers are a ton of fun, but I, I think there's just something about maybe the tone of what's constantly being churned out right now Mm -hmm. that has a, I don't know, a, a lack of like heart and soul and, uh, real real effort put into it. I, yeah. I think it's just like, all right, let's just, you know, get something out there. People are gonna buy it. If it's not that great, we got something else coming up in the pipeline. Yeah. And I don't know, man. I mean, that even goes into the discussion of like anyone and everyone can shoot a film. All you need is an iPhone to make a movie. Mm-hmm. But there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, and man. like for me, for my personal preference, and this this is all subjective and you know Anyone can think anything that they want to and anyone can get into any criticism and any, you know, ins and outs of all this stuff as deep as they want to. But I'm a fan of like actors who have run through the fucking mill before (laughs) they get on camera. And I've done interviews with people in the last, you know, 10, 15 years who were like, yeah, I don't know. I just got cast and I've never really done Anything, And I don't really care about it, but you know, I'm doing it. And I'm like, well, have you ever been on stage? Have you ever really, you know, worked on your acting craft or, you know, dedicated a uh, professional, you know, perspective or outlook to all this stuff. And whenever I hear someone just be like, eh, it's, it always kills right. me. It's like, right? I don't know, man, it's tough. It's so tough. I, I want to be positive. About, you know, horror as a whole right now. But at the Mm. same time, I'm like, there is so much that's getting in the way of just fun, entertaining movies. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would love to happen again is just get a great crew and a great team together, throw some money at whatever people can come up with, let the effects team experiment and There's a story that I heard, um, and this is from, I I believe it was Giovanni Lombardo-Rodice, who was a star of multiple uh, 80s horror films, showed up in uh, Lucio Fulci's The Gates of Hell. And that's one of my all-time favorites of his, being in the Gates of Hell trilogy with the Beyond and uh, House by the Cemetery. But uh, (laughs) he was talking about how there was a filmmaking technique he learned I don't remember if it was from Bruno Mattei or if it was from, it might've even been Fulci, but line it out so you can have a new effect created every day. Hmm. On the call sheet, you know, you've got everything laid out. You've got what you're going to be shooting. You've got everything planned, but keep it fresh. So there's nothing stagnant during the making of the movie give the team the ability to come up with something so they can be creative and just like, Hey, we're going to kill someone, come up with the death. And that's something that I even look at George Romero as being a genius about. Yeah, He was so cool with giving Tom Savini and all those guys, the ability to just think outside the box and be like, all right, how can we make something that's going to look awesome and going to be really fun to execute? Yeah. And I, I don't know if the most popular films that are making it into theaters, uh, and I say that, and the fact that we haven't had like real theater releases for over a year now is just <laughs> insane. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's it's just nuts. The The most prestige stuff seems like it has to be made within such strict parameters yeah it has to really fit this mold that's been essentially reviewed and approved by
1: so many producers people. by all of this you know plenty this of people who are not Qualified to do that, <laughs> yeah. Plenty of people who are not creators, you know. And, and oh
0: my god, now, now I want to get into like all this ranting and raving from guys like I Fellini mean,
1: and so many. I others. just like, gotta say, Take the movies away from the money men, <laughs> yeah. Like the way that you explained how you feel about it was probably the nicest way of saying everything. Yeah. Is a piece of shit. But um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will
0: say, I will say, there are some independent filmmakers out there who are fucking doing awesome yeah. work. You know, there's even in the midst of the majority that's bland and by the numbers and approved for release, there are guys out there, there are filmmakers out there, there are, you know, just incredible creators and visionaries and people with, you know, uh, amazing stories that are doing yeah. some awesome shit. And it's, it's so weird because like we grew up, we grew up going to the video store. We grew up going through the aisles and trying to hunt for, you know, what we were going to watch on a Friday night yeah. with pizza and a limited budget. <laughs> you know, you
1: get a, a couple of bucks You've that got still one sounds movie. like the best Friday night ever. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally, man. You know, let's let's go and see if we can get a copy of Dead Alive and hope it hasn't mm. been rented out, and then yeah. go and get some pepperoni pizza. Yeah, wasn't that watch some shit? movies? Like you know? they have one copy. They have <laughs> <Yeah>. one copy. <laughs> You're like, see, I hope nobody rented it. That's that's Crazy. what it was too. Was like yeah. you know, it's it's a totally different era with the streaming capability that we have right now, mm. and the ability to download and get everything. Uh, that's available on demand whenever we want it, whether it's on a prime subscription or for rent or, you know, buy uh, with whatever uh, digital outlet you go with. But shit, man, back when, you know, you would go to the store and you'd be like, oh man, I can't wait to go and see the new releases in the horror section. And you'd get there and like, every single fucking copy of event horizon was checked out yeah. and you're like all right fuck uh what else can we get yeah what, what's the next option uh, are we gonna go with silent night deadly night part five the toy maker all right fuck it
1: i guess that's what we're watching tonight you know? yeah i mean i think that that's built like this deeper appreciation for it though you know and yeah. i mean yeah. I, I again i hate to sound like such an an old person but just like kids these days growing up with uh (laughs) everything at their fingertips at all times yeah is is crazy and like i mean that's great like i i love the fact that we can find anything at any time we want but yeah there was something special about that and and it forced you to to get a film that you might not have gotten yeah. um at the time you know and um, I don't know if you know this but I worked at a, a video store for a while there was a a, pl- a place called 48 hours video and I worked there for a long time so I used to get the new releases the Thursday before they would come out on that Tuesday yeah which great so like what they wanted us to do they wanted us to rent the new releases so when they came out on Tuesday we could talk to people about them essentially which was pretty cool I mean that's like not a bad Not a bad gig, you know, for a a film nerd. So, Dude, I worked at a a Hollywood video. Uh, Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, uh, like between 99 and uh, 02 or 03, I worked at a Hollywood video that, you know, was the same way. It was, we got the movies in and you were supposed to watch them over the weekend so you could talk about them or recommend them. And that was it, you know, it was kind of a really eye-opening education for me. And I got really lucky. The Hollywood video that I worked at was close to a community college. And this was when I was living in Northwest Arkansas for a while, because family had moved out there to do Walmart work and real estate and all that shit after Mm. they had left Southern California and uh, basically had their fill of like orange County getting way too fucking expensive to live in in the late eighties and early nineties and all that stuff. And it was just, you know, let's, see what we can do for a little while out here and then eventually after being out in the middle of the country for a bit i went back to you know the west coast and now we're up in the pacific northwest and all that shit and the thing is too man when there's an opportunity to travel i mean i cannot fucking wait to come back down (laughs) for like monster Palooza, son of monster palooza hanging out just you know all that shit but yeah Yeah, I worked with a friend of mine who was one of my earliest um, film mentors, really. He was a community college uh, film professor named Ben Vick, and he was fucking awesome. I mean, he introduced me to so many great uh, underground movies, really, you know, got me further into like the works of Paul Bartel. And even some of the more deep cut stuff of like Brian De Palma, uh, like sisters uh, being an example off the top, um, which is an insane uh, Margot Kidder movie. If you ever get a chance to see sisters, that Mm, movie is fucking excellent. And, (laughs) you know, definitely late seventies horror, but very Hitchcock influenced and super fucking cool. Um, But yeah, man, it was like talking to him every week about, these movies that I had never fucking heard of was so eye opening. And also the fact that he came at it from an academic perspective mm, because yeah. he would do, you know, really focused film analysis and he would discuss it with his classes. But then just to shoot the shit, he would be talking about favorite crazy movies at the store while we were fronting and facing all the aisles and shit. Yeah. So I got that sort of introduced to me really early on just after being a movie fan that you could look at this from a very focused perspective as an academic and then using that to be sort of the curator figure for people coming into the store and saying, hey, I've seen this. I want something recommended that's either similar to it or something maybe from the same director or with the same stars or something that you think might be uh, one of your favorites that I would enjoy? Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm sure you got that like a million times too. And that was like a thing where, you know, if you recommended a piece of shit to someone and they came back yeah. that <laughs> night and they were like, we just got done watching this and my kids hated it. And it was full yeah. of nudity and gore and <laughs> bad language. And I had to turn it off and I want a refund. It was like, you know, sometimes you got to be on your game for that stuff. Cause yeah. you don't know how bad people react to like taking a copy of, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking about like meet the feebles, you know, if you recommended that to some like uptight conservative family and they start watching and they're like, Oh my God. And they just want to come back and burn your video store to the ground. Yeah.
1: You know? Well, I feel like people, <laughs> I feel like you guys were offering a really good service at the video store. There. <laughs> people during to. that period of, of renting from that Hollywood video, if you're listening, you, yeah, you we're getting a, a film education and you didn't even <laughs> fucking know it. Look at that.
0: <laughs> we were just trying to, you know, get people to buy extra popcorn and snacks. I yeah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, dude, that's that's the thing is like with there being an infinite amount of options and choice in the world right now, it is like even more so that needle in a haystack type of analogy and situation where it's like, how do you surf through all the white noise that's out there to find something worth digging into? And God, I've spent countless hours just fucking around and wasting my time flipping through all of these recommended selections from algorithms on like Netflix and Amazon prime and Mm. Hulu and all that shit. And what we're kind of doing with in search of darkness and in search of darkness part two and in search of tomorrow. And then the other documentaries that we have coming out down the line, we're kind of playing the curator role. Yeah. But we're also bringing the people who made the movies into the discussion so they can tell their stories. Like, You'll be watching in search of darkness and it'll get to the segment about the howling and Joe Dante will talk about making the movie and then maybe (sighs) discussing some of his memories or some of his stories or some, you know, quips and shit. And oh my God, the the funniest thing, uh, just for that specific example, uh, in his interview, we were talking to him and then we got onto the subject of the howling Two. Sturba your sister is a werewolf and he said what a piece of shit (laughs) the only thing I want to say about that movie is that Christopher Lee came to me and apologized after he made it and that shit you don't get anywhere else wow (laughs) that's that's like you know the deepest hardest hit from the source Wow. You know, I've never yeah. seen that on the back of a of a box. I've never seen no, that on no uh, like the description of the movie. Uh, you know, flipping through a, a video service, it's like we want people to be able to watch these documentaries and walk away with a list of shit that they're excited yeah. to either rewatch or to discover for the very first time.
1: Well, that's uh, when I started watching the second one um, today. I was like, I need to stop this. So like, I knew that I needed to take notes. Like at a certain point, I was like, I realized I'm like, oh shit, I need, I need to be writing all these films down because there's a bunch that I hadn't seen, you know, and they have these amazing stories and everything. So it just looks, uh, it, it, yeah, I can't wait to, to jump into that. And, um, you know, what I, what I'd actually, what I'd love to tie this entire conversation into is, um, is the dark art. Community, Yes. And how so many dark artists and people who grew up similar, similarly to you and I now are these amazing artists. And, um, you know, and I just, I want to know like, what is it about that that has, it's like, we're still putting that stuff into our artwork. Right. So like there's things that influenced us as children and, and um, myself included. And then like, people ask me nowadays, they're like, you know, I'm doing a a, a painting on cannibals or something. And it's like, they're like, well, they, w- they want to know why. And I'm like, I mean, I, I grew up watching fucked up cannibal films and stuff like that. And like, I don't know, it's fun in Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox again talking
0: about Giovanni Lombardo he's in Cannibal Ferox and he has one of the worst deaths in the entire movie Uh, for anyone seeing it, spoiler he's gotten his junk bit off in the film and it's just (laughs) fucking awful Uh, but he's telling stories like oh I fucking hated that film and that was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made but then he winds up in this amazing movie called Cannibal Apocalypse with John Saxon and he has like nothing but a just fantastic shit to say mm. about doing that one. But yeah, man, you're totally right. It's it's fascinating to me to, you know, hear stories from so many people in the dark art community and so many people who are fans of dark art and fans of the horror genre and fans of you know these types of images and realms and ideas and uh God, stories and horror literature and just even music and there, there there's so many things that tie into all of this, but yeah, I I love how, you know, so many of us are taking these influences from our formative years and from, you know, what we grew up loving and still putting it into our work. And I admire every single artist who still pushes into that stuff. And just the fact that the whole dark art community like leans into that and embraces it, And the people who have a really great perspective on all of that, just, you know, some of the people in this community in the dark art community and the horror community are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And are just the most warm, cool, awesome people to talk with. And I I love it.
1: I mean, you know, legitimately, it's so great. Totally. And yeah, I mean... The funny thing is, is somebody just recently, I was on somebody's podcast recently and they were, they're not in this community at all. So they came across my artwork. It was the candy vending machine that I did last year and they were just like blown away by it. And they want to know kind of like the thing that a lot of people ask when they see me at like, some convention that's not a dark art convention or a horror convention. They see me in a normal setting and then they look at my work and they're like, is something wrong with this person? You know? So, uh, which, you know, people like you and I are just like, Oh no, it's fun. You know? Yeah, so Yeah. Like,
0: we've heard that shit like a million times. Totally. Like our entire kids. lives. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so it's interesting to me because what I was explaining to them on the episode of their podcast was, when I look at this, like this horror piece with like severed fingers and like whatever, I'm like, I look at that and it's like pure fun. Like, it's just, it's a fun thing. Like, so I don't look at it as like, Oh, this, the dark side of me is like, uh, trying to channel this like inner whatever. Yeah. If you you look at some of my other work, some of my other work is like the emotional stuff when I'm doing something like a candy vending machine, with severed fingers and pimples in it, hairy pimples, <laughs> it's fun, you know? So, like, that to me, like, that whole idea of, like, fun horror and stuff like that, it's, uh, Chet's very similar, you know, he has a lot of humor in his in his dark art, and yeah. so there's just, like, that crossover of of that fun element, and a lot of those physical effects, I can just imagine these special effects artists back then, experimenting and being like all right we have to shoot the scene today i have no idea if it's gonna work if this gag is gonna fail you know and even if it fails it's kind of whatever it is we have one shot you know <laughs> it's just like
0: yeah let's hope the blood sprays right and yeah we can pull this off the best we can and you know the flaps don't pop up and show the seams and all that's yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I, I just think that there is this element that people don't really uh, embrace if they if they have an aversion to like blood and gore and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm no stranger to it, but there's definitely times when I pick to do that and when I, I choose to do other things, too. You know, I just think that if we embrace some of the fun elements of it a little bit more as a whole, a lot of people will accept it a little bit more, you know. That's at least the hope. But yeah. And you know, you and I are Halloween people, dude. Like yeah. you
0: grew up in the store environment with all the masks and all the gags For and sure. all the makeups and all of the, you know, <laughs> fake blood and severed stuff and the stick on uh scars and the the <laughs> whole thing. And yeah. you know, I, I look back at that stuff. And I still think about being a kid, you know, getting going for Halloween and just having fun with everything. And yeah. really, you know, for a lot of us, I think it's kind of something that goes back to what we really loved when we were developing. Like mm-hmm. for me, you know, it's, it's also tied into family, like i right. come from family that was like old hollywood growing up after the dust bowl seeing the universal monster movies coming out on release and going to like the premieres and the lights coming up and my great aunt looking over the side and seeing Lon Chaney Jr. and full Wolfman makeup. I mean, shit like Crazy, that, you know, yeah. and, and growing up hearing those stories, it was like, fuck, I, I love that stuff, but I'm also able to sit on the couch with my loved ones and watch something that's fucking terrifying or, you know, really horror focused or really atmospheric. Whether it's an old classic or something from when I was a kid, you know, just watching new movies in the 80s and then stuff in the 90s and all that. And it's like, I think back on that and one, in a way, some of those movies prepared me for some of the worst fucking shit that ever happened Mm. in my life. And others were kind of almost like bonding experiences, you know? And there's something really fucking special about, you know, watching a movie with a loved one and both of you like laughing at the gore effects or the absurdity of some stupid ass contrived crazy horror movie plot Mm. or even in, you know, (laughs) any other genre. I mean, there's... Movies that are just a fucking riot to watch that I absolutely love. Uh, I'm really thankful that there's been like a resurgence of movies that kind of, I don't know, went went the way of uh, being lost to time that mm. different um, distribution companies have started digging back up. And uh, one of them, uh, I know it had been overblown for a little bit, but it fucking holds up and it's still fucking hilarious every single time I watch it is Samurai Cop. Uh, if you've ever seen seen that one no Mm. (laughs) it sounds great though (laughs) (laughs) it is again it's just like everything objectively bad going into the blender and resulting in pure lightning in a bottle gold (laughs) it's just solid entertainment in the most like Slapping your palm on your forehead yeah. absurd way from front to back. And there, there are so many knockoff movies like that. Like, oh my God, one that was just hilarious that recently came out from uh, the company Vinegar Syndrome hmm. uh, was, I think, Occultus uh, Obscurum or something like that. It's just this amazing knockoff uh, film that combines elements of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 with like... Uh Witchboard, the killer uh Ouija board film plot starring Tawny Katane, uh, which is just so much fun. I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole of you know, <laughs> so many fucking things, yeah. but I grow up with these being a part of my life, and then I go into the world and I look back on them being some of my best memories like having drinks and smoke with friends and watching Return of the Living Dead and yeah. just enjoying the fuck out of that. And it has since become one of those movies that I will always say, you want a good horror movie that's a great fucking party movie to watch? Put that shit on. Yeah. And it's a good time. Um but yeah, you know, there's even that discussion about the catharsis element to it too. That if you look at a horror story, And you break it down into its fundamentals and you look at the conflict and you look at the way that the uh, story plays out and if it's well-structured and well-written and has uh, some almost morality to it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like It's really funny. You can look at, um, if you watch In Search of Darkness and In Search of Darkness part two, there are segments in each where they talk about people's reaction to horror and what horror does for people. And one of my favorite quotes is, uh, from Linnea Quigley, who was in Return of the Living Dead, and she's talking about the film uh Silent Night, Deadly Night, the first one. And she gets killed in that movie by opening the door to her cat trying to get inside the house right when the killer's about to burst in with an axe. Mm. And her lesson learned from that role in that movie and that scene was: yeah, sometimes you just don't open the fucking door. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's shit like that man like yeah. god you know uh for me personally the craziest thing is my house burned down when i was 8. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay. And i remember and this is fucking wild i remember watching A Nightmare on Elm Street. And this was uh, something that, you know, I wasn't supposed to because, uh, my parents weren't nearly as cool as my grandparents and my aunts and, you know, uncles and all of them. Um, my parents were like, ah, turn that off in the scene where, uh, Nancy pulls Freddie's glove out of the dream. Mm. But, you know, of course I'm a rebellious shitty fucking kid <laughs> and I'm up at like two in the goddamn morning and it's on USA up all night or some shit and I'm watching it and I watch the whole thing. I remember when my house fire happened thinking about Heather Langenkamp and thinking about Nancy and the whole final, you know, uh, segment of that film. Mm -hmm. And it's just like one of those things where, you know, there are movies like that for people where they have watched these films and they've applied things to their lives that have gotten them through some fucking brutal shit. Yeah. Uh, Again, talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, like the character Taryn uh, in that film, played by um, Jennifer Rubin, is the one that everyone remembers for when she becomes a dream warrior. She's got the two blades and the mohawk and Mm -mm. the whole beautiful and bad thing. But she was also a recovering addict. And tons of people will show up at conventions and go up to her booth and tell her, hey, uh, I'm a recovering addict. I've... You know uh gone through uh everything to try to be better and be all right and your yeah. character was really important for me
1: like that's real yeah, shit. that's amazing yeah yeah that's, stu- that's stuff like, like the that, best man. thing that can come out of a film uh, you know to touch people on that level you know is is amazing
0: yeah and it doesn't sure. matter what the film is or you know
1: yeah what it gets lumped in with uh it doesn't matter if it's got like
0: 5,000 one-star reviews on IMDb or Letterboxd (laughs) or some shit, some people will really connect with somebody's work, whether it's film, literature, music, art, anything, even video games. And what they take away from that stuff is stuff that they'll carry with them their entire life. And I think for a lot of us in the horror community and the dark art community, you know, we have a lot of those things for each of us individually And sometimes that stuff brings us together. And, you know, those of us who have lived through really dark shit, sometimes if we're able to get out on the other side of it, we
1: become some of the nicest people in the world. I mean, that's what I've seen, you know, yeah. Man, I totally feel you. And yeah, I absolutely feel the same way. Andrew, this has been awesome, man. And, you know, I don't get a chance to really chat with you um, that often. So this has been really, really cool. And I, I really hope that people have gotten a lot out of this conversation, and I hope people go and you're you're running a sale right now. Yeah, that ends yeah. this weekend. Yep, Valentine's so, Day. Yeah, what? Um, just let us know everything that uh, people get with that sale.
0: Yeah, um, so what we're doing right now is we have made In Search of Darkness Part Two available again to buy. Uh, we had a huge campaign last October that ended on Halloween night. And then we have now basically given everyone the opportunity uh, up until Valentine's Day midnight to get a copy of the film, three posters, and the copy is on Blu-ray. The soundtrack, the film score, both digital copies, access to the Discord that we talked about, which we do the watch parties and the clip show live streams and have that ongoing discussion Um, Always about 80s horror, whatever you want to get into. But the option as well, if you want an add-on, because In Search of Darkness Part 1 is included as a digital copy. If you want the Blu-ray of that too, you have the option to throw that in for the uh, checkout. And it's just something that we want to make available to people who want the Blu-ray, want the posters, want the soundtracks, want the, you know, full bundle that we're throwing out there and everything that we're doing with this flash sale is leading into what we've got coming up next so Mm -hmm. you're basically helping with the development of in search of darkness part three which is an even deeper cut into 80s horror that hasn't been covered in the first one or the second one and then yeah it's just keeping stuff going and
1: amazing what's yeah, um yeah. what is the the uh website the yeah it's 80 shorrordoccom and that's 80 Yes, that's yeah. it yeah okay
0: and uh yeah you can find it across social media at 80 doc. and that's been you know some of the most rewarding work i've ever done and you know kind of what we talked about earlier uh freaky phantoms is something that Deborah and i love doing together And the next step for that is something that we're excited to be getting into and revealing and giving everyone all the news for it'll be called watching weird, where Mm -hmm. we sort of do a little bit of what we're doing with the 80s horror documentaries in search of darkness and search of darkness Two, in search of darkness three and then when we get into the 90s stuff and the sideline sci fi stuff in search of tomorrow. Uh, watching weird is just something that Deborah and I have been getting really excited and ready to reveal and do, and it's going to be digging into just like we're saying those obscure movies, those really hard to find ones, those ones mm-hmm. that have crazy histories and wild stories and. Production trouble and legendary, you know, chaos and all that stuff. So, um, is
1: is Freaky Phantoms podcast is that ending, and then you're starting this podcast, or is uh, how is that working?
0: So, Freaky Phantoms, what we're doing with that is we're spreading that out further. When we're doing recordings for that, we're releasing them to everyone who wants to listen in. We're keeping all of the old recordings that Deborah and I have done available up on SoundCloud and we have the Patreon going for that. So just follow with Freaky Fandoms and what we'll be doing is transitioning into watching weird. Cool. And then if we ever want to have fun with Freaky Fandoms again, that's always gonna be something that's out there uh, yeah. whenever we do it, you know? Nice. But yeah, and it's, it's just us, you know, getting the final option to be doing something that we've been planning for like half a decade now, wow. which is just sort of, discussing a little bit of video essay stuff, a little bit of, uh, live reacting, but, you know, really, uh, continuing the conversation about crazy movies.
1: That's great, dude. Thank you so much for feeling that on this episode (laughs) of my podcast. Um, you know, if you guys enjoyed this episode, you can find more episodes on uh, streaming and downloading on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or my website, drawingfromexperience.com. You can join the Drawing From Experience creative community on Facebook. Just look that up. I will let you in and uh, you can come be a part of my community. And you can also email me at dfepodcast at gmail.com if you have any ideas for guests for the podcast, or if you just want to send me a nice note, and let me know how, how awesome this episode was. Um, you can also find me on uh, Instagram at DFE Podcast. And you can join um, either one of my Patreons or both, uh, patreon.com slash drawing from experience um, to support the podcast, or my personal Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Shane Isakowski. And you can find my personal artwork at shaneisakowski.com or on Instagram or Facebook at Shane Isaacowski Artist. Where else uh, can they, they find you guys? Are, are there any other um, yeah places yeah. that you guys are active on social media and online? I'll, I'll list them all
0: off. Uh, yeah, so on the Freaky Phantom side, check us out on Patreon, um, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For my personal stuff, I am out there as Mr. Andrew Hawkins on Twitter and on Instagram and for the In Search of Darkness uh, documentaries, uh, like I said, everything's out there at 80s Horror Doc and for the In Search of Tomorrow documentaries, check out 80s Sci-Fi Doc on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook Um, and to check out what we're doing for these live streams that we've been talking about every Sunday. They are free to watch on YouTube. So you can tune in and check them out. The channel is creator VC live. But like I said, if you get a copy of the documentary, you're immediately given access to the discord and you're able to chime in on the Q and a sessions that we do with all of our special
1: guests. So those
0: are uh, our outlets out there and
1: that's how you can find Mm. us. Awesome. Thank you so much for finding the time to come onto my podcast and uh, I'm really glad that we got a chance to do this. So this is really yeah, cool. And I look forward to, to uh, seeing you in person, maybe at a film premiere or something. I'm in LA now. So yeah, I feel the last like... time I
0: was in San Francisco for uh, Crispin's, uh, what oh, is right, it? Right, right. I reached yeah. out to you and I can't wait until we can uh, hang out and You know, just uh, whether it's going to be a a movie or uh, going to a show or hanging out at a convention, you know, something. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, I can't wait, dude. Well, thank you so much. And um, I will uh, look forward to seeing the documentaries and and where it all grows into. And thanks again, man. Absolutely, man. This was a blast. All right. Bye-bye.